Welcome to Rugged Theology, a Mile One Mission podcast where we talk theology, church planting, and drink coffee. Welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I'm Adam Diamond. I'm an intern with Mile One Mission. I'm Curtis Rogers. I'm a summer tr- intern here at Mile One Mission. My name's David Drover, and I think you know this, but I'm also an intern at Mile One Mission. <laughs> and I'm Steve Daw. I am not an um, intern with Mile One Mission. I am actually the director of education for Mile One Mission, and I am also an elder at Calvary Baptist Church. So, guys, uh, we've discussed a lot of different theological topics, and we've dealt with a few really big theology words. So this week we were going to think about dealing with another really big theological word that is a little bit controversial, the concept of God's sovereignty. Bum, bum, bum. Exactly. <laughs> so the question that the, the, the basic question that we want to ask is, for us as Christians, when we look at the Bible and when we see what it is, is God sovereign? And then, you know, what do we? What does that mean? Which is probably going to be the more important question. So guys, I'm just going to throw that out there. What do people think we mean when we say God is sovereign? What do you think is the standard everyday response to when we say God is sovereign? Probably that, you know, God is in control of everything. And people probably think that we were, what they hear is probably... God is controlling everything. At least that's been my experience. Okay. Anybody else? In most of my circles, I think people tend to agree with what I would, basically how I would define it. So I'm less versed in what other people would say. So what is how you would define it? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. So, I mean, in a sense, kind of what Adam did just say, but I might mean slightly different things. So when I think of, God being sovereign, it's essentially that he rules over all things, that he, he is powerful over all things, he's in control over all things, um, and by all things, well, all things, but especially like the world and the earth and um, and us and all those. Yeah, I think that last one's going to be more the big question, the controversial one people are going to be asking. So when you say God is sovereign and you say that he's in control, uh, do you mean that in an exhaustive sense where it means everything? And by everything, do you mean, well, everything? Like your your hearts, your decisions, your what what it is you do day to day? And if that's the case, is it, isn't this a little bit like God owning, uh, I don't know, uh, a robot or a, uh, some kind of sim, uh, sim simulator thing? A sim yeah. simulator gone bad. Yeah. <laughs> like I can't wait for the Sims 2020. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a there's a couple perspectives that I, you know that I hear often. One of them saying God is control is often uh, a reassurance for some people, saying yeah, God is in control, and which which is good that that is a reassurance because God is good. Um, but for other other people, you know, it's easy to take it in in a fatalistic type of sense, in which you know God is in control of every little thing, which is true, but you know, it's 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 quite easy to start thinking. You know, am I just a puppet on a string? Which I don't think is true. Well, and that kind of thinking leads you to think, well, if that's the case, then 
that sin I committed, did God make me commit that sin? Yeah, and of course, that's going to be the number one uh, opposition from a Christian perspective of uh, the concept of God's sovereignty there in this kind of exhaustive idea. Does that make God the author of sin? Uh, James would disagree otherwise. Yeah, I think I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there's something about the temptation comes from within yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's written there somewhere. But I mean, there is going to be a bit of a problem here because there is the fact. I mean, it goes back to the standard problem that people will have with belief in an om- omniscient, omnipotent God. If God knows all things, and God can do all things, and there's evil, how does the, the, the I mean, how does that work together? Either God is evil or God doesn't want to do anything about evil. I think that's sort of uh, like that's that's how we rationalize things in our head. But I, I think it's a uh, it's a bit simplistic when when trying to expect that we're going to be able to fully comprehend the attributes of God, like in its entirety, like to say that, you know, because that's the classic um Hume argument, I guess. Um, but uh, it's like, well, there's nothing in my brain, in my human capability of understanding that can rationalize why God can be sovereign and good at the same time. So therefore, there must not be one that exists. But right. there's, there's also a false assumption in what you just said, Steve. Oh? By saying that God doesn't do anything about it, our perspective is very narrow and not of the grand scope of all time. Exactly. Right. If you read from Genesis to Revelation, God is very at work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The end of the book doesn't end with God not doing anything about evil. <laughs> no, it ends actually with no. evil and sin having been absolutely defeated, wiped out, done away with. Right. So again, then the question would be that you're, you're adding in there is that God has time and that's why he, you know, why there's evil that still exists right now. Yeah, I mean, Scripture points out that God is patient. He's patient for us. He's waiting for those who, you know, are those whom he is calling to come to him and uh, those who will be saved to be saved. He's patient with us, enduring our sin, enduring our evil, all for the sake that we can be saved. It's all for our benefit. I mean, we can gripe and complain that God's not doing anything, but it's actually for our benefit that God is not resolving evil right now because of resolve evil means to take care of all of it, even the evil that's within their own hearts. Right. So again, then, I guess there's kind of a situation here where we've got, uh, we agree. That, so when we say that, the, that God is sovereign, a lot of people will interpret us as saying then that God uh, intends all things, or I guess the theological way of would be saying it would be superintends all things. Like there's an intention of God overarching all things. And that that includes well all things you know including our own decisions and things which is does seem kind of well robot-y. um yeah it, it seems like you know are we really just puppets and we're just you know going along to whatever course god has set for us or do we have some semblance of free choice yeah. does god's sovereignty affect that Right. Uh, it's 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 a big issue to tackle, and you know I think we can use this episode to more or less introduce people to the idea even of God's sovereignty and what that might look like 
because uh, free will alone could be its own episode for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. But the big question that then that we need to really be asking then is, what do we mean when we say God is mm. sovereign? I mean, Dave's already kind of answered the question. I'd like to hear what you, what the other guys think. Yeah, I mean, I I see very um, there are parts parts in Scripture where it shows that God actually intervenes. Um. And then there's parts where we see you know, that man has a role to play as well. So in at least in my head that right now where I am, I kind of think of God knowing every choice that I could make, but also knowing which choice I will make. It's not necessarily that he forces me to make a choice, but he knows what I will choose. Okay. I would say that God is in control of all things because I that's well, I don't feel I think that that's um, that's necessary for one of the attributes of God that if he is not completely sovereign that that diminishes that diminishes his godness um, but at the same time scripture says God is sovereign but scripture also says God is good and we try to reconcile those things at the same time because we you know I always pose the question of suffering and evil and these things um, you know, and just, uh, going back to what Adam said, there's times where, you know, man has a role to play and God has a role to play. Thinking about Pharaoh and, and Moses saying, let my people go. And it sometimes it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Yeah, it's exactly so, 50-50, isn't it? It's close to that. I, yeah. I've never actually gone through and looked at it, but it is almost exactly equal. Yeah. I mean, so we do have uh, we do have a situation whereby the Bible does teach clearly mm-hmm. human responsibility. Mm-hmm. It does. Yep. It's a simple fact. Mm-hmm. Are there any places where the Bible teaches directly God's sovereignty? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to ask for examples, brother. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, but just before I do that, I did want to add on to that, that comment um, because absolutely there is human responsibility you know we're not just robots like i don't i don't think it's i think the word used was super and intend uh super intention yeah right um but i do want to add in with that god's sovereignty like he does what he wills and if that means using a person to get what he wills he will do that um i mean just look at the book of jonah adam's preaching through it and it is remarkable if you read through that book and study it yeah, if, How if Jonah does everything to run away, and even as he's doing the action of running away, God is using him to do what he wants to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jonah is a very interesting book in that aspect. Basically, regardless of where you stand, if God is God and God wants to do something, you are not going to stop God from doing something. Right. Uh, Jonah tried that. He tried to... To stall or to delay what God was doing and even in the midst of that Jonah comes into contact with pagan sailors and even in the midst of you know his sin and running away those pagan sailors who he probably has some distaste for end up still coming to God in saving faith absolutely and <laughs> God God can use our failures thankfully so it just shows how God is sovereign in that fact now, I'm going to have to stop there a little bit because, I mean, this is why I need evidence biblically mm. for why God is sovereign. Because when you use the words, God uses people to do his will, 
Well, in a general perspective from those of us who live in 21st century North America, post-Enlightenment, you know, we're freedom, we're free to do what we want, uh, we don't get forced by our governments or by other people, and we get really mad if people do try to force us to do stuff. And you're saying God uses us. Yeah, so a uh, good example of this, Second Samuel 16. This uh, I came across this. I, I mean, I read it before, but I did a I did a sermon on David as part of a Christmas series last December. And Second Samuel sixteen is a I think it's Shimei curses David. So uh, he came across uh, this man who was f- from the house of Saul. Uh, so he came out cursing, and he was cursing continually as David came near, and he threw stones at David. So the man was uh, David got upset and that but then david says further down what have i to do with you you sons of zeruiah so let him curse because the lord has said to him curse david who then shall say what why have you done so and other translations know what who am i to say like what if god has told this man to come out and curse david who am i to tell him to stop okay so i mean that's that's a very interesting point but it shows you david's view of god that god could have very well said go out and curse David, like to use, basically use this moment as a point to maybe draw David's attention back to God. Right. Another, I mean, really easy passage to, or, or verse to talk about this would be in Genesis 50, right? Um, when Joseph is talking to his brothers, mm-hmm. he says, as for you, the brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, yeah, it doesn't get more clear cut. Well, and I mean, that actually is the classic verse for, um, I, I'm going to use a couple of big words now, uh, for go for it. Uh, the compatibilist position of, uh, of divine sovereignty, the belief that uh, while we do have intentions and we do have will, in fact, even a free will, that uh, our intentions for evil can be used by God because he knows all things. He can work all things together for good according to those who are, uh, according to his purposes. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight, I think it is. I just mispre- misquoted that, but fine. <laughs> but I mean, while we intend things, while we have our desires, God superintends things. And so the two are compatible with one another. So, and that doesn't make God the author of sin. He makes the, he becomes then the redeemer of sin for his good purposes. So that's the classic verse you see in there in Genesis 50. Because it's, I mean, it's even more clear. It's, it says at one point there, what you intend, what you meant for evil, yeah. God meant for good. Mm-hmm. As if there was, there were two intentions working simultaneously in the event. Yeah. And the brothers are responsible for it their intention in the event and God is glorified for his intention in the same event. So that's not to show my cards too much. That would be the position I hold. Yeah. And it makes sense where none of Jacob would not have become, you know, second in command in Egypt. His family perhaps would have died of starvation from the famine. Like none of these things would have been brought about if his brothers never committed the evil of selling him into slavery in the first place. Yeah. Well, I mean, another simple one coming from Christians. I mean, everything that went before the crucifixion of Christ was evil 
from Judas's betrayal to the religious elites uh, deciding to railroad a guy that they knew was innocent for something to uh, Pilate being too cowardly to actually stand up to them to uh, a bunch of really mean guards just getting their jollies by nailing a guy to a cross and taunting him while he died. All of that was evil. Every last bit of it. But at the, And I don't think anybody in those situations was, you know, God was saying, I'm going to turn twist your opinions a little bit and you're going to make you do this. They, <laughs> they chose to do it of their own of their own free will mm-hmm. and yet all of it was intended by God and i mean if you read some of the psalms like especially prophetic psalms god intended it from the beginning of time that they would do it but they did it anyway of their own free will yeah and you have the i'm not sure the reference right now but again while I was studying david uh, when david did his greatest sin of doing a census mm-hmm. of the nation of israel it says, I mean, there's a part where, uh, you know, it says uh, Satan, you know, basically caused him to do this. But basically what it is is that God allowed Satan to tempt David, and David went, f- acted on that temptation. God didn't make David go forward in that himself. God just allowed this to happen just to basically prove a point to David because David had become proud in who he was as a king, and he wanted to know the power that he had not realizing again that the kingdom was first and foremost God's, not his own kingdom. So it, it drew David back. So God allowed this temptation to happen, but David's the one that acted on it. He didn't make David do it because there was another, I think there's another passage of it where it says God made him do it or caused him to do it. But when you read both uh, accounts of the story, it, it puts, it fills in those blanks there of what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you guys think of all this? I mean, obviously, uh, we would say that nothing happens that surprises God. Nothing happens without him knowing about it with him. Everything, in a sense, has been ordained from the beginning of time. In, In the same way that God knew about Christ's crucifixion before he created the universe. Universe. Uh, Psalm 127, 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. And Psalm 90 is, says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So he's God over all creation. And he's in control of all of that. Right. And at the same time, we're responsible for our sin. Yeah, so those two things have to actually somehow work together simultaneously. It's a, it's a bit of a theological paradox, I guess. But Yeah. I mean, even in Isaiah 45, uh, verse 7, I form light and create darkness. I make success and create disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. And before that, he even says to Israel, I am the God of Israel who calls you by your name. I call you by your name for the sake of my servant Jacob. I gave a name to you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, there is no other, there is no God but me. So God is saying, you're like, I'm the one that called you. I'm the one that gave you a name. I'm the one that creates light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, no, I'm the one that's above all these things. And another example, if we're just going to throw him out there, go read Daniel chapter 4 with Nebuchadnezzar. He has a dream, and in the interpretation of the dream, God is literally... Um, 
where is it at? Uh, verse 25. You shall be made to eat like an ox. You shall be made wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So that God is big. And, and sure enough, if you keep reading, um, that's exactly what happens. Go to verse 33. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among the men. He ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as the eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's yeah. claws. And I mean, if you go to Isaiah, I mean, one of the one of the def- one of the defining characteristics of God and one of the things that makes God so clearly God, according to the prophecies in Isaiah, is that he can tell the end from the beginning. In fact, it gets so exact that some scholars will go so far as to say that there's a Dudo or a Trito Isaiah because the predictions in Isaiah are so exact, they must have been written after the fact, or they're a proof of God's sovereignty. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so kind of a question begging, so no matter wherever you stand is generally where you're going to come out on that question. Yeah, so I mean, we don't believe that we're just robots no. being controlled every second, every moment of every day. That God maybe you know, let's say, not brush my teeth this morning. I brushed them. It's all good. It's all good. I'm glad. But uh, you're sitting not... far enough away, but you know, <laughs> I'm still glad. But it's not like God's like, yeah, you're not going to brush your teeth today. And then I go out, and someone smells my bad breath, and I'm like, oh God, why'd you make this happen? No, no, like <laughs> that's not what we mean by God's sovereignty. <laughs> Though I mean, we do have to be clear. It, we are saying something very powerful about God's sovereignty that he does actually, as I said, superintend all, all things, if we're going to agree on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I use the example of uh, Job, and I mean, most people know the story of Job, right? Uh, Job is an amazingly righteous dude. Uh, Satan meets before God and says, yeah, he's only he only loves you because you keep blessing him. And God says, okay, go destroy him. See what happens. And then, uh, you know, all sorts of horrible things start happening to Job. And then Job says this in uh, Job one twenty. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and in fact it's even in the all caps, meaning Yahweh gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, remember, Satan did all these horrible things. Satan took away, uh, admittedly on the on the okay of God, but Satan did it, and yet God is yet uh, Job is blaming God directly. Now it's a worshipful blaming, but he's still saying, "Yo, God, you did this," and the, and and of course we could say then that that's Job's opinion. I mean, you know. Obviously, he just simply didn't know what was happening, mm-hmm. except there's an editorial comment in the book of Job. In verse 22, it says, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So, all of the bad things happened to him, but God was not being charged with wrong, and, jo- and, but, and Job was telling the truth about God even though he charged God with doing all this stuff that Satan had done. And again, and to me, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I'd have to have the compatibilist position that, you know, what Satan had intended for evil for Job, God intended for good. Mm-hmm. What God, what uh, 
the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and uh, Pilate and a whole bunch of other people intended for evil for Jesus, God intended for good. Amen to that. So, yeah, amen. I mean, I'm sure anyone who has gone through a very difficult time and who follows Christ, who follows God, you can look back in hindsight and see what good has come from it. But in that moment, you couldn't see what what good could possibly come from this. What good? I mean, this is like, God, why? How many times? I mean, God, why is this happening? Even why are you doing this? And then we can, as we move on through life and we look back and we're like, wow, that's why you let that happen. That's why that happened. And sometimes too, let's be clear, that good isn't merely this good thing came of that, but the good could be that you got through it and now you trust God more and that's better for you. Good. Like, yeah. yeah. Anything that draws me closer to God is good. Mm -hmm. Whether it be something horrible that may happen and cause me to stop and look at who God is. It's still good if it draws me closer to my creator. And I mean, we have to be careful too, because this doesn't, absolve us of evil absolutely not because again in each case that we're talking about the intentions of the pharisees and sadducees is still sinful Mm -hmm. in the murder of jesus in uh satan's attacks on job it's still evil in uh the brother's attack on joseph it is still evil though joseph is capable of forgiving because he sees the good that comes out of it and of course the brothers apologized anyway but Again, we're not saying that evil isn't evil. So, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, probably one thing that we've heard most often is that God is in control, especially now during COVID-19. God is in control. God is in control. But are we really prepared to accept what that statement means? Because it could mean that God is going to let things get really bad. Yep. Or it could mean that God is going to resolve this and things are going to get good again. But we need to be ready to accept either outcome and work in those outcomes still for the glory of God. I think it's important for people to to understand that God is good in both of those outcomes. Absolutely. That uh, Psalm 106 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So his goodness is not just in, you know, our prosperity, our health. It's not in Job's prosperity, but... You know, we ought to be able to praise God for he is good even when he takes all things away from us. Right. Amen. And, and specifically because he intends good through it. Yeah. Amen. And that's what I mean. God is good. He is working for the good of all those who follow him, who are called by his name. Well, guys, we're coming up close to a half hour. So I think that's a great introduction to the sovereignty of God and what we mean when we say God is sovereign. So if you're listening to this, Remember, God is in control. It might not be what you always thought it was, but God is in control. And we can rest in that whether we think it's bad right now or we're going through a good time right now. God is ultimately in control, and he will see this to the end. And God wins out in the end. Sin does not win. Amen. So thanks for listening, everyone, and hope you have a great day. If you want to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at Mile One Mission dot ca